1985, Houston Natural Gas merged with Internorth to become Enron. How many of you have heard of Enron? Yeah, you don't even have to be a stockbroker or work for Bluegrass Energy to know who Enron is. Uh, they're famous. And so uh, at their peak in 2000, their stock price was $90.75 a share. That's the peak, the very top of that graph. That's a graph of their stock price. One year later, on December 2nd, 2001, their stock price had fallen to 26 cents a share, okay? How did that happen? How on earth did such a huge company with so many assets go belly up? Well, one explanation is the ongoing habits of its senior executives. So if Enron had a power plant that was making a lot of money hand over fist, they would take the amount of money that they expected from that and record that on their books as actual profit, even though they had never gotten the first check from that power plant. If they had a power plant that was losing money, they would take those losses and put them on an offshore company and not record them in the books at all. Now, as many, many of the executives said, everything they did, and I want to get the quote right, everything they did was perfectly legal. Well, let me ask you a question. Was it honest? Was it honest? No, it wasn't honest. Recently, three kids from Aurora, Colorado, found a wallet at the end of somebody's driveway. They were walking along the sidewalk, and apparently the guy getting in his car at the end of the driveway, his wallet had fallen out, he didn't realize it, he drove off. But he has security surveillance cameras, and it caught these kids retrieving the wallet from the end of the driveway, walking up to the front door, ringing the doorbell, no one's home, putting the wallet in between the screen door and the front door. And so the news media carried this, and eventually they found the kids. And Haley, age 13, she's the girl on the left, this is what she said to the news media. If you see something someone dropped, just always give it back and do the right thing. Now, let me ask you a question. Are some people just honest and others aren't? I mean, it, is the world just made up of good people and bad people, and you're either a good person or a bad person? Or is it the case that some people are simply in the habit of telling the truth and being honest? And some people are simply in the habit of cutting corners and fudging if it's needed to kind of protect their neck. Let me explain another way this works and I think you'll get where I'm wanting to go today. My wife, bless her heart, has been losing her keys now for 30 years. <laughs> a new friend of ours came over to the house, and this lady was so excited. And she was convinced that she was going to revolutionize Jenny's life. And in my living room, she says, you know, you know what you guys need? You need hooks by the door that you come in. And if you put those hooks by the door, when you come in through the door, you just put your keys on the hook and boom. I mean, it's simple, but I'm telling you, you would never lose your keys again. 
I didn't have the heart to tell the woman that beside our door are three rows of hooks. The issue isn't the big idea of having a place for your keys. The issue isn't the presence, the physical presence of hooks by the door that we enter the house. The issue is an issue of habit, okay? And habits will make you or break you far more quickly than ideas will. Let me say that again. Habits will make you or break you far more quickly than ideas will. Here's what I know about my preaching. My preaching is not gonna change you any more than watching Simon Sinek TED Talks are gonna change you. But if I can get you to attend worship regularly, get involved in community and serve, read and intake your Bible regularly, those habits will change you, all right? Now, because we live in America and because it's 2018, we have this idea that we're somehow smarter than people who lived 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And some of that's because of science. We say to ourselves, well, they thought the earth was flat. <laughs> morons, morons, you know. And so we kind of think that ancient peoples were just dim-witted people, you know, making their way through life. And the truth of the matter is, human nature has not fundamentally changed. Not in 100 years or 1,000 years or 5,000 years. Human nature has not fundamentally changed. So if you were someone living in the town of Colossus, which is located in what's now modern-day Turkey, and you were trying to kick a bad habit, the things that you, were, that you would face in AD 60 are not that different than from what you and I face today when we're trying to kick a bad habit. And if you were that man or woman living in AD 60 in this minor town in the Roman Empire trying to start a good habit or a new habit, the hurdles that you would face are very similar to the kind of hurdles that you and I face today when we're starting to try a new habit or a good habit in our lives, okay? Ancient philosophers and teachers talked about this a lot, and the way they talked about them were in terms of vices and virtues, we don't use this language anymore, but the language of habit is certainly one we can connect with. And in, in a very real way, vices are simply bad habits and virtues are simply good habits, all right? And if you can get rid of vices and put on virtues, life is just gonna go better for you. And the Apostle Paul knows this, and so he writes about vices and virtues regularly in the New Testament. And one such list is found in Colossians chapter three. Uh, Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians in Coloss. It's a town a lot like Nicholasville. It was a smaller town next to some bigger towns. And, and so if you live in Nicholasville, you know that Nicholasville is just really a, a suburb of Lexington. And I know, I understand what that's like. For those of you that are Wilmore, you have the same cough about Nicholasville because we've got a Walmart and you don't. <laughs> that's how that works, okay? So Colossians chapter three. Paul says this. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Set your sights, seek, zeteo. Um, You have to actively pursue what is above. What is above just doesn't automatically upgrade inside of you. It's not like one of those Windows updates on a Thursday night or Saturday night, and you're like, oh, right? It's not automatic. It requires some effort. And then this part about hidden with Christ. I grew up in the 1970s, and police and crime shows in the 1970s all would always have like a two-episode mob thing where somebody was ratting out the mob. This is before all the big mob trials happened. And somebody was ratting out the mob, and that person would get taken by the FBI and put in the witness protection program. They were hidden in plain sight. They could be walking down the road, and anyone looking at them would not know they were the ones that ratted out the mob. They were supposed to be hidden, safe, and secure. Of course, in all the crime shows, they get found out, right? That's kind of what Paul's getting at. Someone looking at you doesn't know that your real life is hidden with Christ. They don't see a halo or anything. It's not obvious to the the casual glance but it's nevertheless secure, hidden away with Christ. Verses five and following, and this is where we get into the vices, the bad habits. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Let me me go all the way to verse 9. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Paul starts off with a list of vices, bad habits. And he says, put to death. In other words, literally make these things into a corpse. Kill them off is what he's saying, these habits. And he lists them, right? So there's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Those are all sexual urges that are outside of their normal channels. It's somebody who simply says to themselves, I have an urge, I'm just gonna do what the urges tell me to do. I'm just gonna do whatever I feel like doing. in, In that sense, they're a person that's kind of out of control. And then he goes on and he talks about greedy people. And, and for Paul, this uh, a lustful, greedy person is someone whose life is just out of control. They're letting their emotions and their desires drive them everywhere they're going. And so he continues and he has a second list there. And let me back it up. Uh, he talks about anger, rage, And these are the kinds of things that are on the inside, emotions that we feel. And then he, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, these are those bad things on the inside that are now coming out and are directed at other people. And he's saying, these are bad habits. Put them off, like taking off clothing. And then he picks it up in verse 10, and and he has this transition. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him 
in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Uh, this, by the way, if you've been a Christian a long time, this is one of those rich passages where really if I were to do it justice, I'd need to preach on like 13 weeks in a row. I just know that, okay? So we're, we're like at 30,000 feet. Put on the new nature, all right? Get rid of, put on. Get rid of these vices, these bad habits. Put on these virtues, these good habits. What Paul is basically saying is that when you become a follower of Jesus, when you're born again, it isn't automatic. Good, virtuous habits are not automatic. There's some work on your part, working in coordination with the Holy Spirit who's at work in you to cultivate these things. Maybe you've heard someone give a testimony like, I accepted the Lord Jesus when, back in 1995 and when I came to the Lord, the Holy Ghost came upon me and I just didn't crave sugar. I would have sugar, I was diabetic. But the Lord delivered me and from that day on, I've not ever, I don't even think of donuts. I've from, so just for the Lord delivered me from that taste of sugar. I've never needed a donut ever since that day, 1995. Now that's, that can, I, Although I'm being funny, that actually can happen. I've known people who stopped smoking that way or had other kind of habits that just disappeared. But that's the exception, not the norm, okay? That's the exception, not the norm. So Paul goes on, verse 12, and he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes through Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you're called to live in peace and always be thankful. Clothe yourselves. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, when you got out of bed this morning, were just magically clothed? Some of us, it's more effort than others, right? We open the closet and then there's the sigh, <laughs> right, okay? Clothing yourselves takes a little bit of effort. Now, the vices that Paul lists here in Colossians 3, these bad habits, exploit and abuse people, the virtues and good habits that he lists here protect people, preserve people, strengthen people. And what Paul is saying is when you live this way, when you live with these habits, these virtues being part of the way that you're living life, the peace of Christ dwells in you. Huh, coincidence. And then he goes on, and this is the last little part. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is an amazing passage here, and what he's saying is, I like the way one theologian put it. He said, these virtue lists, right? Um, the stuff above, where he's talking about um, 
tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and then all wrapped together with love, that's how Jesus would live your life if he were you. With your husband, with your wife, with your kids, at your job, with the issues that you're facing, Jesus would have tenderhearted mercy, he would be kind, he would be humble, he would be gentle and patient, he would make allowance for faults, he would easily forgive, and love would be the thing that characterized the way that he lived your life. James Smith, in a, just an amazing book, uh, become, you, you Become What You Love, I think is the name of the book. I wanna read this quote because this is the heart of what I'm trying to get at. To recognize this is to appreciate something about the mechanics of temptation. Not all sins are decisions. Because we tend to be intellectualists who assume that we are thinking things, we construe temptation and sin accordingly. We think temptation is an intellectual reality where some idea is presented to us that we then think about and make a conscious choice to pursue or not. But once you realize that we're not just thinking things but creatures of habit, you'll realize that temptation isn't just about bad ideas or wrong decisions. It's often a factor of deformation and wrongly ordered habits. In other words, our sins aren't just discrete wrong actions and bad decisions. They reflect vices, bad habits. What the Apostle Paul, I think, is saying in Colossians chapter three is, you have to get acclimated to your new life in Christ. And know that when you get acclimated to your new life in Christ, you're gonna learn a new language and you're gonna acquire some new habits. Let me flesh this out in a practical way, right? And in light of this passage, in light of what James Smith has to say, what are, what are some bad habits that you wanna eliminate? What are some bad habits that you'd like to eliminate? Think for a moment, when do they happen? When do they happen? How many times a day or a week? Who are you with? Who's with you? Um, where are you? What are the triggers that create that habit? And then, what are good habits that you wanna cultivate? What are good habits that you wanna cultivate. Here's some just very practical thing, right? Maybe you have a, a bad habit that you're wanting to kick to the curb, a vice of what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul would say. Often we think that, well, I need to stop swearing, da da da, just fill in the blank. I need to stop. And we think that it's a matter of willpower. Well, I just need to will myself enough that I stop X. The reality is that you've got to substitute a new habit for the bad habit you're trying to kick. That's huge, it's key. Um, I, I hate that I eat this bag of chips. Well, you don't buy chips, you buy apples, so you have apples. And I know it sounds crazy, you're like, I, I, let me get to where I'm going. You've got to, you've got to change the habit, not just try and kick the one that you're trying to get rid of. Uh, for me, the longest I had a battle, the first thing I would do in the morning is I would open my email and read my email. 
the way I changed that habit was first, at the end of the day, the night before, I shut down my computer so that I would have to completely start it up. Then I put something in front of the screen that was something I was trying to, that I wanted to read so that it was another visual cue. Oh, that's right, I don't wanna read my email first thing in the morning, right? So are you catching this? When you're wanting to kick something, substitute with a new habit. And then you cut out as many triggers as possible. Um, maybe that's not having snack food. Uh, I had the, because uh, we all understand the power of eating, which is why I'm using these analogies. Uh, for the longest time, I kept a candy box under my desk. It had a lock because my children, some of them, uh, liked candy too, and they would you know, take my candy and I would get crotchety. eating my dad's candy. Okay, so I had this giant toolbox filled with candy all the time. And anytime that something, uh, the day went wrong, I sat down with somebody who was having a hard time or they were making bad decisions or someone in their life was making bad decisions that was affecting them, I would come home and I would be like, Skittles, right? I had to give away my candy box to help kick that habit. I couldn't have it in the house anymore, right? So, right, cut out the triggers and then join forces with somebody. So those are three things about uh, kicking a bad habit. Sometimes you need a partner or you need a group to help you walk in this new way, this new habit that you're wanting to do. And then you wanna start a habit. Well. You've got to have a trigger, a cue, or reminder of what it is you're trying to do. Um, for some of us about, uh, like, I want to go to church. Well, setting an alarm the day before, right, is an important step in that. Um, uh, you're wanting to read your Bible, so the place where you always sit down with your cup of coffee, right, put your Bible where you're, so you're, you're wanting to create cues, visual reminders, et cetera, of this thing that you're wanting to do. The second thing is the routine, the action you take. And the first two times you do something new and different, that's where all the willpower comes in. Trust me. <laughs> the first couple of times you're trying to do something, any of us who, who came to Jesus and had to start waking up and going to church on a Sunday morning and we never did it before, it's hard, <laughs> okay? Which is why anyone who's been in that category, I've got tons of grace for you because I know it's hard. It's a new habit, okay? The last thing which is really important is understanding the benefit of what, of what's going on. Sometimes you have to say to yourself, way to go, I made it to church today, right? Okay, so like this reward thing is huge. And if I could talk to parents for a moment, in America, we often praise our kids for the wrong things. We praise our kids, hey, you got all A's, good job. Hey, you won, good job. Because we're wanting to cultivate virtues in our kids, in other words, we want them to be someone who perseveres even when things get hard, right? So a better way to praise our kids is to praise the virtuous activity that we want to see them replicate and repeat. So, hey, you got an A. I know you studied really hard and you made note cards and you did that two nights before the test. You put in a lot of hard work for that. I'm so proud of the hard work that you did. Do you see the difference? So parents, be, be intentional about how you're praising your kids. Um, I know this because I still, at age 50, there are habits in my life I'm still trying to change. There are. 
In my 20s and 30s, one of the biggest habits that I had to uh, change was something related to my marriage with Jenny. I am not a hugger. Let me say that again. I am not a hugger. You all know this, right? I'm not a hugger. Jenny needs me to be a hugger for her. So there was a season in my life where literally I had post-it notes. I had a post-it note on my computer, hug Jenny. I had a note on the place where I would come home and put my bag, hug Jenny. This sounds absolutely insane for some of you because you'd be like, well, if you love her, you would hug her, right? No, it wasn't a habit that I had. I had to learn this new habit. Now, if I see Jenny, I will often hug her with, I don't need a prompt, I don't need a cue, I don't need those kind of things, right? But it was hard work changing and developing a new habit. I know the Apostle Paul is not smoking weed because, <laughs> because I drive a car. I've been driving a car for 35 years and there are many, many occasions these days where I will get behind the wheel of that car and poof, I'm now at my destination. And I'm like, how did I get here? I don't remember getting here. I don't remember the traffic. Did I stop at the light? Like, I just don't remember. It's like I'm, com I'm zoned out. I don't even have my phone out. Like, it's, driving is such second nature, I don't have to think about it. Now, I have someone who's learning to drive in my house, and it couldn't be more different. Uh, last week, and it's rare that I tell stories on my kids, but last week, bless her heart, right? I'm driving with Jill. Jill's learning to drive, okay? And that particular day, I didn't go through the checklist of everything that you do. And I, because I wanted to see, you know, what's she gonna do? So she pulls off, and the car is going, Right? She didn't fasten her seatbelt. No problem. So as dad, I'm sitting in the seat and I calmly say to her, Jillian, honey, that tone that you hear is the car letting you know that you need to fasten your seatbelt. Oh, both hands come off the wheel. <laughs> We're driving 30 miles an hour, by the way. She reaches for the seatbelt. My dad hand immediately deploys. Boom. I grab the wheel. And I say in another calm voice, this time it's feigned, Jillian, honey, I think maybe to do that, you should probably stop the car. Oh, good idea, Dad. <laughs> okay? For my daughter, driving is not a habit. She's got to put some serious mental effort into all the things that go to driving. If you've ever beaten yourself up, I just don't read the Bible, or I don't, could, any number of things. If you've ever beaten yourself up because you think, well, I'm just not a super Christian. It's habit, okay? And habits are hard. There's a reason that these things are called spiritual disciplines. There's a reason for it. God is ready to help, but like any new habit, it's gonna require some mm, effort on our part, okay? Habits will make you or break you far more quickly than ideas will.